Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Everyone likes to feel involved. Even the shyest introverts need a community, something to connect them with others like themselves. As developers, we can often feel isolated in our own little worlds of study or focus where we only have ourselves and our computers. Uh, Some people are able to find that community, whereas others don't see it and have to create the community they desire. We've brought on Saran Yitbark, founder of Code Newbie, to talk to us about creating an inclusive community and the conference that her team puts on each year for that community. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I am done with the database nightmare that I have been living in. <laughs> woot, woot. Yeah. So I finished up the last of the really nasty uh, chunks of SQL code this week. Uh, in fact, about three hours ago. And so, yeah, that saga is done. Hopefully there's no bugs. I don't ever want to look at this code again. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't express how happy I am to be done with this section of this project. Um, it was a lot of learning. My SQL has gotten a lot better. Um, but just like uh, all other painful experiences in life, you grow from it and you don't want to be there again. And so that's that. So I'm very, very stoked about that. Other than that, uh, the book is still coming along. It's looking like it's going to come out in August. So be on the lookout for an actual uh, release date announcement fairly soon. That's all I got. Awesome. How about uh, Saran? What have I been fighting? Um, Time or lack of time. (laughs) Um, It feels like there's just never enough time to do all the things I need to do. I'm gearing up for Codeland right now, which is uh, as of the time of this recording, about six weeks away. So there's so many things, so many loose ends to tie up, so many people to get back to, so many tickets to sell. So just like a lot of work going on and trying to, yeah, just trying to get it all done. So we published episode 200 today. That was fun to edit. Uh, The content for the episode wasn't the trouble. Uh, We've gotten a lot better over the the years. Going back through the old unedited episodes to pull the bloopers at the end was a lot of fun and kind of painful. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Um, We'll finish up SQL stuff this week. I've been in uh, advanced SQL training all week long. I initially learned SQL using the uh, Learn SQL the Hard Way. I actually, it was a group through the Code Newbie organization that uh, that I met up with. Oh, online. cool! Yeah, um, and uh, but this class is very specific to PL SQL and Oracle, so I'm learning a lot of the little quirks there. Mm. And speaking of quirks, we're right in the middle of our book in Book OTs. So we are right in the middle of this book now. This is the meat of what it is to be a pragmatic programmer. 
We start this with a chapter about the basic tools. The comparison is made to a craftsman with a set of tools. Uh, As an artist, I recently saw a sale on brushes at Hobby Lobby. It was actually the brand that I use and was half off. So, of course, I splurged. Uh, I bought some of the paint. I bought some canvases. I I went there to buy a single canvas, and I ended up spending a lot more than I intended, but half off. But what I splurged on were mostly very specific brushes or tools for painting. You know, I already had the basic ones that I use in my paintings. These were some fine-tipped ones or specialty brushes designed for very specific things. And just like each brush has its own purpose and unique function, the tools that we use as developers have their own personalities and their own quirks, really. The next chapter gets into pragmatic paranoia. And this talks about things like dealing with other people's code and how developers shouldn't even trust their own code to work perfectly. The following two chapters talk about changes in your code, when to make them, and dealing with changes that can happen while you're coding. So not related to the code, but related to the business processes. Uh, The heart of being a pragmatic programmer is being prepared. And the core of the book breaks down ways to be better prepared for the things that happen during the development of a product. Will, who's talking to us this week? Well, we got a uh, tweet in response to you announcing that you're speaking at Codeland uh, from John Folder saying, would love to hear this story. Had to change of careers myself because psychology wasn't healthy for me anymore and being a coder is so much better. John, thanks so much. Uh, I've been working on the talk this past week. Um, actually, Saran and I have a call tomorrow evening around this time to to discuss it and discuss my, my slides. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, it should be fun. Uh, my friend Alicia, who is letting me use her art in my slides, and I've been texting back and forth all day long because she was sending me a bunch of artwork saying, all right, here, you can use this for this. And we're, we're eventually going to get together and I'm going to let her look through the presentation too, to make sure that she agrees with me and where I'm placing things. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be, be awesome. So Very John, cool. send us an email or a DM with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Check us out each week on Facebook Live where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to Slack com. We are social beings and live in a world where we thrive from working together. We have the capacity to learn from those that went before us and grow by guiding those behind us on the path. Sometimes it's easy to find the community you're seeking. When you start looking, they just seem to be everywhere. Other times it can seem impossible to find anything. In those cases, you have the option to give up or to build the community that you want. Saran is a developer and founder and CEO of CodeNewbie, the most supportive community of programmers and people learning to code. She is a regular contributor on several podcasts and hosts the CodeNewbie podcast. 
Uh, she's had a few jobs in the tech world, including working for Microsoft, managing a training program there. She's here to talk to us about building an inclusive community for developers and those learning to become developers. Well, Saran, we're big fans of origin stories here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love to ask our guests is what first got you interested in coding and learning about software development? Sure. So what got me interested was reading the Steve Jobs book. Um, I think that was uh, eight years ago now. Yeah, man, it's been a while. Um, I read that book when I was uh, just starting out just about like a year, I think, after I graduated college. And I said to myself... um, this is really cool. Like just this world of technology and being able to do things that were really creative and expressive and artistic um, and all these things that I'd never really associated with technology. And I was really excited and really interested um, in seeing like if there was a place for me and if there was a, a role that I could have in this world of tech that I just recently discovered. And so um, that's kind of where the interest came from. And then the coding interest specifically came from just having experience working in the startup world and feeling like without being a developer myself, without getting those coding skills that I would never be able to really make the impact I wanted to make. I felt like because I was non-technical, I wasn't really as valued as I wanted to be. You know, if you think about the different teams in a startup, like the engineering team is kind of the most important one, (laughs) you know, like whether or not we (laughs) want to admit it, like they're kind of the rock stars. They're the people who are, you know, just really prized and really core to the mission. And I really wanted to be on that team. I really wanted to play a big part in the companies that I worked for. And I felt like I needed to get technical in order to do that. That's really awesome. When you did this, you created a community and to get started, I want to ask, how do you define community? That's a really good question. I think I define community um, as a group of people who are um, who have a goal in common, a mission in common. So for us, it's people who are like literally learning to code. Um, it you know it doesn't get more uh, more complicated than that. It's literally like we are on a mission to learn how to code, to hopefully be better developers, to be good developers, and probably something even more specific like getting a job at the end of you know learning how to code. So I think that being on the same mission, generally having the same values, you know, for our community, inclusion and being inclusive is really important to us. Being supportive is really important to us. Being helpful, being like actively helpful is really important to us. So I think that it's being on the same, uh, being on the same mission, having the same mission, and then also having some shared values. That's how I define a community. Nice. So is anybody not welcome? Have you ever had to ask anybody to leave? Um, not explicitly. I think we've had, we haven't really, we haven't really had that many, but we've had maybe like two instances of someone who said something a little unsavory, you know, in a Twitter chat or in a community or something. Um, and when doing that, uh, the community has kind of shut it down for me. <laughs> so I haven't had to say anything. They've jumped in and said, no, that's not acceptable here. That's not okay here. Uh, so we haven't really had to kick anyone else out, but they have left due to, uh, peer pressure. <laughs> They're very welcome peer pressure from the community. So uh, yeah, we're really good at self-moderating and having people who get what we're here for and get what we're about and make sure that everyone is behaving themselves. That sounds similar to our experience as well. I know Beej and I've had a couple folks show up at our stuff that's that didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, on that, our our stuff started through uh, through Code Newbie um, with with Saran. Um, working with her and then we sort of branched off into our own thing so it's 
it's it's been a we've been friends for a couple of years now so it's mm-hmm. really cool i know i uh will and i both have at times participated in different things so what inspired you to create the code newbie community it was just my own journey learning how to code. Uh, I felt like, you know, I learned on my own for a few months. Then I went to the Flatiron School, I went to a coding boot camp in New York City. And the real value I got from that boot camp was the community of people. It was sitting in a room with 44 other people who understood the highs and the lows and who really understood the journey that I was going on. And so um, I didn't like the fact that in order to find that community, especially back then where there wasn't really, you know, nowadays there are a lot of online communities available to support you to help you out. But back then there really wasn't much. And I didn't like the idea that um, you had to essentially like pay tens of thousands of dollars to get that community. I felt like you shouldn't have to pay that much. And so uh, Twitter chats were a thing that everyone seemed to be doing. Uh, And Twitter chats, if you haven't been a part of one, is when you pick a hashtag. So for us, the hashtag is code newbie. And we pick a time. So for us, it's Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. And then we'll pick a coding topic. And then each week we will We'll talk about a new topic and we'll tweet out questions during the hour and then we'll have people respond using the same hashtag. So it's like an organized way to have a conversation with like 100 people on Twitter. So it's really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, And so because this was such a popular thing back then, nowadays, it's not. I haven't seen it too often, um, but it seemed like a really great tool to have everyone join the conversation and kind of create a community around that. So yeah, that's where that came from. That's really cool. I know um, Will and I, at various times have, uh, have participated. I used to be more active in the, the Twitter chats and that's, that's really neat though. I, I like that, that just sort of anybody can jump in. How do you pick the topics for that? Um, so they are usually inspired by the podcast episode that week. So if there's a topic that we had, for example, our season ender this um, most recently is about uh, computer science, learning computer science. So I believe the topic we picked that week was related to, you know, picking whether or not to study computer science in school and how important is this computer science degree. So usually it's related to the podcast. Otherwise, it's inspired just by like learning uh, to code and just the coding journey itself, trying to think of different um, conversational topics different things that people are already talking about on Twitter, different, uh, you know, hot topics that have come up or different arguments that have happened online um, and trying to pick things that are relevant to our community. So it really helps that like we are also coders and we are also always learning how to code. So a lot of those topics come from just experiences we've had ourselves. So the most recent thing that you've been working on for the community is the Codeland Conference. Yes. Could you tell us about the conference? Sure. This conference is the most amazing conference ever. It is designed to explore the wonderful world of code. So a lot of tech conferences focus on the tools, the technologies, the languages. We focus more on the why. So it's not just, you know, here's JavaScript. It's cool. It's here's what we're doing with JavaScript. Here's the application of this language. Here are the problems we're solving in our community, in our industry, at work. Um, And so we really like to focus on the application of the technology. So to give you an example, um, we have a talk that is all about how to um, help rescue people who uh, are part of like a natural disaster. And so it's like a natural disaster recovery program that was written by one of our speakers. And the idea is, you know, if you're in a, you know, in a place where you had to deal with a natural disaster, and you're trying to call for help, how do you do that? And how can we use drones to help us find people and figure out what they need? And he built this really 
really amazing um, program to help solve that. So it's not about the program itself. It's not about the language he used to, to write it in. It's not about the APIs he used. It's about the fact that he has um, created something that could potentially save a lot of people's lives. So that's the part that's really interesting. That's what's really exciting. So it helps us illustrate the power of technology and the power of code. So that's what the conference is all about. Nice. That's so uh, who's the target market? I mean, I, like, is there any range of coding skill in there or is it just wide open? Sure. Good question. So we design all of our talks and workshops to be applicable and interesting to really anyone, no matter what their background and experience is. But we've designed it specifically with the newbie in mind. So specifically folks who um, have less than a year or two of professional experience, folks who are just getting started, folks who are in the middle of their boot camp, we're trying to really self-teach, folks who are still looking for their first job. So we really designed it around that. And what that means for us is making sure that our talks are not only cohesive and really interesting, but also making sure that each talk comes with a cheat sheet so that as someone is speaking on stage, there are uh, there's a page in the program that lists all the terms and definitions that the speaker might use. It lists resources that might be helpful to look up later. And so really trying to think, if I'm a new developer, if I'm learning how to code, I'm sitting in the audience, what do I need to make me feel extra welcome, extra supportive? If it's my first tech conference ever, for a lot of folks, we're their first introduction to tech conferences. And so what do we need to do to make it really special um, and how do we cater to them so those are the things that make our conference a little bit better tailored for new developers what do people need to know uh coming into the conference so I think they need to know that um, it's going to be full of really amazing people who are there for them. I think that conferences are a really great place to network, to build community, to make some you know friends in real life versus just like online friends. Um, and so I think that coming in with an open mind is really good. An open heart is really good. I think that knowing that um, it is a very much a technical conference, there will be code on the screens, there will be you know terms and stuff that'll be talked about, but it's still going to be really accessible and approachable. So I think they just need to know that um, they will leave having learned something and they will leave being inspired and just being kind of open to receiving that information um, is really important. Uh, I really like that because when I first started, um, we went to a couple of conferences. Uh, they would have things that were listed as beginner Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that were they not were, well they were they were beginner if it was your first time working in that language or with that technology but you had five to ten years experience as a yes. developer yes yeah. exactly yeah it's never new to coding it's new to that particular topic with years of coding experience <laughs> which is very different you've talked about what people will have there how is the conference set up? Because you were describing this to me before, and it, it sounds kind of unique. And I just I want the listeners to hear how, like, what they can, what their experience is going to be like while they're there. Yeah, yeah, great question. So we start with the opening talk. So we have two amazing talks that are going to kick off the conference. And then from there, you get to pick uh, the rest of the day. So you get to pick either track A or track B. Track A starts with talks in the morning and then a workshop in the afternoon. Track B is reverse. So track B is a workshop in the morning and then talks in the afternoon. And then we end with everyone joining in for our closing keynote. So uh, it's an opportunity to kind of move around, get your blood flowing, uh, you know, walk around a little bit, get some 
get some activity in you, but also a way for you to kind of design the conference experience that you want. Um, the workshops, about half the workshops are the same between the afternoon and the morning, but the rest are different. And the talks are different between the afternoon and the morning. So it really helps you kind of pick what are the things that you want to get out of the conference? What are the topics that are important to you? And gives you a chance to uh, design your own conference experience. I, I know one of the keynotes is going to be um, Scott Hanselman. And yep. I know I, I got to meet him last year at Music City Tech and he's a really great guy. He's an amazing um, guy. Yeah. He, uh, he told me about some stuff that kind of bleeding edge stuff that now my architect is going, Hey, I need you to go learn this. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I've already heard of it. I know about that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, don't you yeah. love when that happens? Yeah. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I'm going to be speaking there, but I know there's a, there's a different process for speaking at Codeland than, than other conferences. Yes. I guess, could you talk to us about who is asked to speak and that process of becoming a speaker there? Sure. So the final program is made up of half invited speakers and half CFP speakers. So we do have a CFP. It was open, I think, for about like a month or so. Uh, and we had a couple hundred people apply. And then we picked, um, I don't remember how many we picked, but it was a very small amount. I think it was like under 10 people were invited to speak. Um, so if you didn't get invited, please don't don't be upset. It was very hard. And it was very hard to pick the final lineup. Um, and so, yeah, it was a mix of invited and mix of uh, CFP. The invited speakers were either people that I had already seen speak before and were and I was very confident that they'd be able to speak to our audience. Um, and they're also usually people who um, had a particular talk that I'd already seen before and that I knew would be a really good fit. So it's usually someone I was very comfortable with on stage and kind of knew they were going to do a great job. Um, but for all of our speakers, regardless of whether or not they're invited, uh, we go through a uh, speaker training, speaking speaker coaching process, um, which is frankly like my favorite part about doing the con- the conference itself is I get to work with each of our our speakers, each of our workshop leaders, and we have three touch points. The first is where we talk about the talk outline or the workshop outline, and we kind of make sure we're on the same page with the information that we're going to share and how it's going to work and what the structure is going to look like. And then we have our slide review, which is all about making sure the slides are cohesive, that they are generally laid out well, um, that the talk is really coming together or the workshop is really coming together. And then the final touch point is the rehearsal. So that is um, actually running through and practicing, like according to time, like timing it and practicing what the actual talk is going to look like. And then I'll give some feedback and some notes on that. Um, So it's my way of making sure that the speakers are really comfortable, that they're really, that they feel confident about what they're going to say, how they're going to say it. And it's also a way of kind of doing, uh, frankly, a little bit of quality control of making sure that the talks um, aren't just great ideas, but are well executed. That's like a big thing, right? You you look at an abstract and you think, oh, it's going to be a great talk. And then you go to the talk and then sometimes it falls flat, right? So we want to make sure that um, the talks sound good, they look good, and they actually are as good as they sound. So uh, yeah, it's my favorite part, getting to work with each of our speakers. They're amazing. Um, they're so excited to speak and share. And I know you're one of them, BJ, and you're, you've been a pleasure to work with so far. Um, and it's just a really great way for the speakers to get a benefit. They get some feedback and our attendees get a really great polished talks. Yeah, I really, this is the first conference I've spoken at that had anything like this other than the ones where I knew the organizer and, you know, he, he gave me some, some feedback, uh, but that was after the talk. So Mm. getting this working together, it's for me, it's really great because I'm getting to, you know, we, I had one, a couple of things in mind um, 
And then when we talked that first time about the outline, uh, you gave me some really great tips. I was like, you know, you're right. It would be so much better if I, if I just kind of forget about that and focus on this other area. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, I think it's going to be, and that's what led me to getting the, the art involved. And it's, yeah, like it's, I think the talk is becoming so much more than it could have, it would have been had it just been me putting it together myself. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I like this process. Um, also I've seen, the other thing happened, it's happened to me where I had an, an idea that I thought was just a great idea, and I told it to someone, to an organizer at a different conference, and he was like, that sounds great, that sounds really awesome, submit it. And when I submitted it, my abstract was horrible. <laughs> ah, the opposite, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and with it, they, I submitted a couple of talks, they picked a different one, so I go down there, and he's like, hey man, I loved your idea, but when you're, you're I read your abstract, I was like, man, that just... That just sounds like a, a glorified sprint retrospective. Uh, and I was like, no, that's that's not it at all. Like, yeah, I didn't think so. But my, my team, they read it and they're like, yeah, no, we don't want to hear that. Mm, and so yeah. I got I got some great feedback from that, too. So, you know, uh, I think your process of giving feedback before the talk is really awesome. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I appreciate that because, you know, it is, it can be seen kind of like as extra work for the speakers. And I hope that's not how it comes off, but it's gotten really good reception. Like people are really excited to finally have some help on their talks <laughs> mm-hmm. and to get some really open and honest feedback. And um, it's been wonderful to see that they're really open and they're really collaborative too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's as a speaker, and I think Will would probably agree with this because he's done some speaking too. It's it's hard to know if the idea in your head is going to go yes. over well. Yeah, it's yeah. really tough. Yeah, yeah. There are plenty. I mean, what you said about the abstract, I've definitely dealt with that myself. Where I'll think of like a really great idea, but it's just so hard to put that down, you know, on paper and make it sound as interesting as it feels to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really tough. So who can be a speaker? Like, I mean, I know you said you about half of them are invited, but the other half are CFPs. Who do you get? your your call for papers from um from a lot of folks we have an incredibly diverse group of folks who apply uh we get like tons of women people of color people who are are in underrepresented groups um come speak and the other thing is i love that we have a ton of first-time speakers we have a ton of folks who've never done a cfp before who've never spoken at a conference before so we like to think that we've created a really safe place for you to feel like you have a voice and feel like you have a story to share um and hopefully that comes through in the CFP itself. Like if you look at our CFP, it's very different from mm-hmm. others. Like a lot of people will just have you do an abstract details and that's kind of it. Um, I don't think that's very helpful. I don't think it's helpful for the review committee. And I don't think it's helpful as a speaker because, well, there's so many different ways you can write an abstract. How do you know, you know, how do you best get your idea across, especially if you're not used to writing abstracts, right? It, it becomes this thing where there's a way to write abstracts. And if you don't know that way, well, then mm-hmm. you can't really get yourself out there. And so um, for us, our abstract or our CFP looks more like, what is your story? What's the problem that you're trying to solve? What are you optimizing for? What's your intention? So we try to get to the heart of what you're trying to say and the story you're trying to tell and let that be um, really explicit in the application. And then we try and review that instead of writing kind of this polished abstract that you have to create. We try and really get to like, what is this person really trying to say? And I think designing a CFP that way also makes more people comfortable submitting who may not be comfortable submitting a normal CFP. Nice. That's 
So what it sounds like to me is you've taken this idea of the supportive community for people learning to code and put it into your speakers. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I would I would suggest anyone that is wanting to to get into speaking to next year submit to to Codeland because this process it's helped me as a speaker and I've been doing it for a couple of years now. I mean, I, I'm no great speaker, but I, it's definitely made me a better speaker. Yay. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you really do well uh, with the whole support thing. Um, but what about people that maybe want to participate, but they don't want to speak? Are there other opportunities like mentoring, volunteering, those kind of things? We do have volunteering as a thing that people can do. So, um, and we're going to put a call out closer to the conference date, but people are more than welcome to volunteer. We, uh, we love our volunteers. They're a big part of how this conference is possible. You know, conferences are one of these things that you spend, you know, for us, I think it's been like nine months or so planning it and thinking about it. And at the end of the day, like, it's just different to have it come to life and be, and just kind of realize like, wow, there's a lot of people power required to make this actually happen. And so our volunteers are a big part of that people power. Um, they're the ones who give you your swag bags, who take care of you, who lead you to the right place, who, um, you know, make sure you're not lost, who make sure you're taken care of. So we love our volunteers. And that's probably the biggest way that you can contribute to the uh, to the conference. We also have pay it forward tickets. So one of the things that we realized is that there are a lot of folks who may not be able to attend Codeland or who, you know, for different reasons, just don't feel like it's a good fit for them. Maybe they're they're way too senior um, and we have them still wanting to participate, still wanting to give back to the community. And so we designed these pay it forward tickets, which basically allows them to pay for one of our scholars to attend the conference. So we have an opportunity scholarship for folks who may not be able to afford going to the conference and that gives them a heavily subsidized ticket for just 25 bucks. Um, and so the pay it forward ticket it allows someone to basically pay that, um, to, to pay for one of these scholarship tickets. So it's been a really great way for people to give back to the community and help um, help support the people who want to go to Codeland. Nice. So um, what are some of the best parts of previous conferences? I mean, you've got all, this, all these systems around trying to create a great conference. Uh, what are some examples of some stuff that you've seen in previous ones that, that really stood out? Yeah, it's been really awesome to see people use the booklet I talked about. So our booklet, it's, I think technically it's a program, but it doesn't look like a normal program. It's full of resources and terms and definitions and all this really great information that can be used even after the conference is over. So instead of a t-shirt, you get like a book of knowledge, (laughs) um, which is, you know, I think more valuable. Um, But I wasn't sure, frankly, if people were actually going to use it. You know, I wasn't sure if the idea I had in my head was going to play out that way, Uh, but it did. Like it was really cool to watch people in the audience take out their pens, take notes during the notes section, jot things down, really looking and, and using it as the talks were happening. That was just really cool. Um, so that idea worked out pretty well. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite moments about the conference is at the end of the conference, and this was not something that I organized, but this just happened because our volunteers are so amazing. They created this um this kind of this runway where they would clap for you as you exited and as you left the conference. And it was this like really amazing, um, totally organic way of uh, like celebrating you, right? Like we're literally celebrating you as you leave. It's the last thing that happens at the conference. It's like you're walking out and you're being clapped and whooped and, you know, like we're your hype man, you know, for the, for the minute it takes for you to leave the conference. And that is one of my favorite things is being able to create that final experience, that final touch point where you just feel awesome 
awesome uh, leaving the conference. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to to be there. And this sounds bad, but I can't wait to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you faced when putting on the conference? Oh, um, there are so many. <laughs> um, I think the conference, what makes the conference or any conference really hard, at least for me, is that there are so many little details. There are just so many little things. And the big things are, are pretty um, they're pretty doable or pretty easy because they're big, right? They're in your face. You got to have the program. You got to have a website. You got to have your know, ticketing system. Those things are, are pretty manageable. But there's so many little things that can uh, slip through the cracks. So, for example, one of my worst fears is, you know, you book hotels for all the speakers. And then you'll have one speaker email you and say, Hey, I'm actually going to come in a day before and I need to make sure my hotel is reserved for the day before. So that's something that is, you know, a pretty small detail when you compare it to your list of a million things you have to do. But for that speaker is a really big deal, right? Like if you forget to update that booking, um, well, then your speaker is like out for the night and doesn't have a place to sleep literally. So that's a really big deal. So for me, it's those seemingly small things that are actually really consequential that's the hardest part about a conference is keeping track of all those little changes, those one-offs, those customized things that need to happen and just making sure you're on top of it and you have done all the work you need to do. Even if it feels small to you, it's actually really important to a lot of people. Nice. So how how many people does it usually take and how many hours does it take to stand up a conference like this? I mean, just Good question. Yeah, the first year it was all me. Um, it was me and I had, so I have help every year from a uh, committee. So we have a program committee that reviews the talks. We have a, uh, the volunteer group that I mentioned who helps the day of the conference. And we have the opportunity scholarship committee that helps review the scholarship applications. So I'm really happy to have an amazing network of people who've been really supportive in these kind of contained projects. But the bulk of the work was done entirely by myself the first year. The second year I had help. So it was me and one other part-time person. And this year, I have the pleasure of working with Abby Phoenix, who is the woman behind RailsConf and RubyConf. Uh, she is, oh my goodness, she's my she's my conference angel. She's amazing. And this year, she's been able to take on a lot of the stuff that, frankly, I don't like to do. Um, she's the one that's been in charge of working with the venue, booking catering, booking hotels, kind of those logistical details that, frankly, are not really my strong suit. Um, and she's been able to take on a lot of that. So uh, it's been mostly uh, she and I for this conference conference for this year. Yeah, I found, um, I've never put on a, a conference like this, but uh, just working on other things uh, with school and stuff, having someone who is good at logistics uh, makes the difference. Such a big difference. Yeah. It just, there's so many things that are like, you know, it allows me to focus on the things that I'm good at. It allows me to pay attention to the speakers and pay attention to the program and kind of crafting the experience of the conference. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, it's a joy to work with someone who genuinely loves the things that you hate doing. Um, it's, it's uh, like, yeah. she loves spreadsheets. She's amazing at spreadsheets. I'm in awe of the spreadsheet she's created for us. Um, but she like, she's really good at it and she really likes doing it. So yeah, it's been a, a great experience working with her. Those kind of people are great because oh, I, so good. I try to stay out of Excel just uh -huh. personally. Um, <laughs> the only time, like the only use I have for it that seems to, that seems to wrap me up is periodically using it for code generation, which I feel mm. like a horrible person. Doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes no judgment. Yeah. Oh yeah. No judgment is how you get there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. 
I, I guess now let's let's talk a little bit about what other opportunities does the Code Newbie community offer. I mean, we talked about the Twitter chat and the conference, but uh, what else do you have? Yeah, we also have the podcast that we do. So we've been doing our show for three, maybe four years. Oh my God, I think it's been almost four years now. Um, It's been great. We get to interview a bunch of folks who are new to coding, who are super experienced in coding. And it's been a really great opportunity to um, showcase all the different ways you can get into code and all the different things you can do with code. So we have some technical episodes that talk about like accessibility, for example, intro to accessibility. We have one on security. What should you know about security as a developer? Um, We have one about progressive web apps. You know, like what is that and why should I care? So we have really technical topics and then we have more stories. So kind of like interviews like this where we bring someone on and we say, you know, how did you learn to code? Where did that interest come from? What was the hardest part about it? What was the easiest part about it? And we just kind of dig into these journeys of different developers. So that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of is that podcast and being able to share that with so many people. Yeah, I um, I think you've been doing it maybe a few months longer than we have. And um I uh, I listened to the Code Newbie podcast before we started podcasting. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's how we found out about um, the event down in Atlanta, where uh, where we came down and met you for the first time. Yeah, was through the podcast. So yeah, yeah. Um, good times. You have another podcast as well? Yeah, we have one more called the Base CS Podcast. That's with myself and my co-host, Vaidehi Joshi. She is uh, an amazing programmer and and a brilliant writer. And so for a year, she she does not have a computer science degree. Um, I think she majored in... English, if I remember that correctly. Um, And so she uh, wanted to learn computer science. And so she decided she was going to teach herself. So every week for a year, she wrote about a computer science topic. She learned, she read lots of like books and other blog posts, watch videos. And then she would write these amazing, really simple, really easy to understand blog posts every week for a year. And I saw that and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this would make such a good podcast. Mm -hmm. And so we've been able to translate her uh, blog posts into short 20 minute episodes where we teach computer science. Oh, I need to do that. Yeah. Um, it's really good. Yeah, it's a really good show. I love that show. And I get to spend time with her, so it's fun. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's one of the things that, that Will and I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago in our retrospective on 200 episodes was mm. the, the way that our friendship, now we've been friends since college, but the way that our friendship has grown so much seeing each other every week. Mm, mm-hmm, podcasting mm-hmm. and it's just it's amazing the the interactions and the way that i can tell when he's getting frustrated at me or he can tell when i'm getting annoyed at something he said mm. and uh or he's react- about to make a smart aleck comment <laughs> his, his right eyebrow well it's actually his left but it's right on the screen will go up slightly Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like an eighth of an inch, I'll see it, and I'm like, "Up oh, here it comes." Just stop talking. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so, getting back to talking about the the community and building this, I think it's really amazing because Will and I were talking the other day about how we've kind of got uh, our little tribe here in Nashville of friends that we've made because of podcasting, because of being involved in the development community locally. We, we've, we have faced some challenges just in our, our, our little circle. What challenges have you faced um, and have you overcome with building this supportive community for developers? 
That's a good question. Um, I think one of the hard things that continues to be, you know, frankly, a little difficult is very simply that we don't have a destination. We don't have an online home for Code Newbie. We have a bunch of places where we exist on other people's platforms, right? So we have our our Twitter account, which is obviously on Twitter, um, and that's where we host our uh, our Twitter chats. We have the podcast, which is just an RSS feed, right? If you really think about it, like I'm not, I don't have an app for the podcast. It's on someone else's app that you're listening to. We do have a Slack channel, but even that's on Slack. And, you know, Slack channel community is always a little tricky. Um, We have our uh, Facebook group. Again, that's on Facebook. So we have decided to be in locations where we're going to find people. But as a result, we don't have a place for people to go to, you know. So one of the things that we've been dealing with is just figuring out how do we reach all of our people, right? If we said, okay, we want to send out a message, whether it's about Codeland or whatever it is, how how do we go to all these people? So we have to go to all these different channels to make sure that um, and make sure we have a consistent message to reach everyone who is part of our community. So that's one of the things that's been a little hard and kind of tricky to deal with. That makes sense. I remember in college, we had this sort of um, writers community that met at a coffee shop and having that physical location, you could you could go in there and you could just be like, you could put something on the the sticker board or tell someone that worked there and it would get to all the people. So mm. yeah, that I, I completely see that. Now I know we talked uh, when you're talking about the the Twitter chats about um, and about like people having to like the community sort of self regulating. But have you had detractors from what you're trying to do? And um, have you had to, had to have you ever had to deal with jealous people or people that don't want to see you succeed with it? Um, if they exist, I don't know about them. (laughs) Um, I think the good thing about what we're trying to do is that, um, we're full of like love, you know, like we're full of love and niceness and, um, we are very open and inclusive. So it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to be upset about that. You know, like, what Mm -hmm. are you, what are you upset about that? We want to help people. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's not, it's not an easy thing to hate on. Um, so, you know, I don't really, if that's happened, I am not aware of it. Um, I know that other people have popped up with their own organizations and their own communities, which is wonderful to see, you know, the idea that there's not just one place for people to go, but there's multiple options for people to kind of find their own community, I think is a wonderful thing. Um, so overall, no, we haven't had a, haven't had any issues, nothing to complain about. That's wonderful. I mean, talking about other people popping up, you, what you are doing definitely inspired us a lot in our our local meetup that we run. Yeah, I mean, Saran is kind of like the Johnny Appleseed of local developer meetups. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> just goes around throwing seeds okay out there this. to see what happens. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> the The last thing I want to talk about is: Do people either? I don't want to say age out. That's not the right term, but mm, grow graduate, out, graduate. Yes, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Or, or kind of grow out um, of the community or do they stick around once they've moved beyond the newbie phase? That's a great question. I think that it's a little bit of both. So we have folks who might graduate, you know, once they got their first job, or maybe got their first promotion, they'll do their thing for a while, maybe a year or two, and then they'll come back. They'll almost always come back to say, hey, I'm ready to now be a mentor. I'm ready to finally answer all the questions that maybe I had when I first started out. So we always have folks who want to pay it forward. And that's like probably my favorite thing about our community is um, even the people who need mentorship also want to mentor. We actually had this um, interesting 
interesting problem a couple years ago. We were thinking about how to do a mentorship program and what that would even look like. And uh, we did a survey where we asked people, hey, do you want mentorship or do you want to mentor? And almost everyone said both, <laughs> which made it <laughs> which made it like really hard to pair people up. You know, if everyone's like, I can do both. But it was really interesting to see that even though you might be new to coding, you, you might not be new to speaking, right? You might not be new to podcasting. You might be new to learning how to code or maybe being a JavaScript developer, but you're not new to front end, right? Or you're not new to managing people. And so, it's been really interesting to see that um, even when you're new at learning to code a specific thing, you can still be an expert in some other category. And a lot of people in our community are definitely very helpful and very willing to extend that knowledge and make sure that we're all growing together. Very cool. I mean, I, you know, we've we've noted that with our our groups that we do have a lot of growth outward, and I think that's something that would probably help us is if we had those people coming back in to mentor. It seems like mm-hmm. you've kind of got yeah. a, a pretty good ecosystem building there. Yep, absolutely. What, I guess, what is the path for that? Like, um, like you, you talked about sending that out, but do you have a set path? Because one thing I really like about what you do is everything seems to have a, uh, you've, you're really well organized. <laughs> 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 and like, um, you're, you're well organized in the areas that we are not. And so mm, I think that's where I notice it the most. Interesting. Um, yeah. But um, do you have a path for that for uh, like people go out and when they, when they come back and they say, Hey, I've been, I've been in the, in the job for a year or two. I'd like to help out. Do you have something for them to do? How does that work for them? Usually people will tweet at us and they'll tweet us specific questions. So it might be specific to a bug they're facing or a big decision they're making in their coding journey. And so when people DM us or tweet at us, we rarely, if ever, actually answer the question. What we do is we retweet it and we say to them, tweet it at us, we'll retweet it and we'll get the community involved. So the biggest way to do um, to help out in our community is kind of through this almost like a crowd mentorship, if you Mm -hmm. think of it that way, you know, kind of putting this opportunity out there and kind of letting anyone um, who has an opinion, who has some experience join in and kind of give their two cents and provide some advice, provide some possible solutions. So that's probably been the most helpful way that people can give back and share some of their knowledge and experience. I like that idea. Um, I need to spend more time on Twitter. I've kind of gotten away from it, but yeah, uh, man, Twitter's where it's at. Come on, BJ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm on there pretty rarely as well. It's 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 hard for me to keep up with Twitter. I mean, like, what are you doing to to be able to do that while having a full time you know other occupation other than looking at Twitter? Well, the way I solve that is I have someone who does our social media. (laughs) So, so yeah, she's amazing. She's been with us just for a few months now. Um, but she has been the one that like, make sure the community is happy and well run and making sure that, um, you know, they have what they need and they're taken care of. So I still do some of the Twitter chats. She's actually been doing a couple of them as well. Um, but I have someone, I got to a point where I was like, there's just too much going on and I need, in order to stay organized, I need to start delegating. So I have someone who manages a lot of that stuff for me yeah we're we're getting to that point too so that's that's awesome yeah Um, guys it is built into our very nature to desire to be a part of something larger than ourselves we want to be connected to others doing similar things and with similar mindsets and interests 
Many times you can find that by putting yourself out there and searching. There's a lot of stuff, especially online. Other times, though, you have to create the community you desire. And Saran has been great about sharing her story on creating the community that she built and the amazing things that they're doing in that community. Saran, we really want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your insights. How can people reach out to you and find out more about Codeland and all the other things that Code Newbie is doing? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Um, so to reach out to me, you can reach me on Twitter. It's just my full name, Saron Yitbarek, S-A-R-O-N-Y-I-T-B-A-R-E-K. And then if you want to learn more about uh, Codeland specifically, go to codelandconf.com. Um, tickets are still available. Ticket prices are going up June 22nd. So hopefully you'll be able to get your tickets before then. Um, and then last but not least, if you want to learn more about Code Newbie, I think following us on Twitter is probably the best thing to do. Our Twitter handle is at code newbies c-o-d-e-n-e-w-b-i-e-s and i'll have links to all of that in the show notes for you guys that pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out will what do you have for us this week for tricks of the trade well i want to reiterate something that i think is kind of uh under the surface here and that is that if you want to predict the future if you want to predict how uh how you're going to move forward you create that uh, that's what Saran has done with her community. That's what we've done with our community. That's what most people that are successful and don't have a ready-made community end up doing. If you step out of your comfort zone and you force yourself to go out there and accrete all the people that will help you, you'll get a whole lot further than you will actually just trying to find those people. In other words, attract them, create the kind of scenario where they will come in and then they'll be there. And I just want to reiterate that point again. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.